0: You have all made it through the dance. You have all made it, made it made. Coming to you from the X -X Access. It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 354. Your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And my, 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 what a show I have for you today. Frequently, we're not talking about issues of life and death, except when we are and that day is today. We are actually talking about death. And my guest, Ed Gasvoda, is the creator of Fireless Cremation. What is that? That is alkaline hydrolysis. And basically... It is chemical cremation. It is not the burning of the bodies that you associate with cremation. It is an entirely chemical process by which liquid is returned to the earth. This was absolutely fascinating. I realized in nine and a half years of doing this show, I had never covered this topic before. My God, what a conversation this turned out to be. Because first of all, in the first 10 minutes of this episode, Ed takes me through his entrepreneurial journey. He's a student at Harvard. He wants to make a million dollars before he graduates. So he starts a company that uses precious metals to remove acid rain from power plants. Yeah, totally, like every college kid does. That's what we all do, right? He goes on to create ugly office buildings that are ahead of the green movement. Took that company from 6 million dollars to 60 to 240 million dollars, and eventually he finds himself in the death industry. And we talk about cremation, we talk about burial, And we talk about them in very stark terms. I'm going to repeat that right up front here. If you have a weak stomach, if you are disturbed potentially by very frank descriptions of how the cremation process works, this is your warning about this episode. If you are concerned about the environmental impacts that burial has, or perhaps you skew the other way, where you're worried about the sanctity of life and worry we're talking about this in too cavalier a way... This is your warning. Because I promise you, you will get a very stark picture of what cremation and what burial actually entail. And Ed is very no-nonsense about this. He has a very sort of scientific view of this. And he finds the entire process fascinating. I myself have a fairly strong stomach here. So I find this process fascinating. But I'm not going to snow you here. We don't dance around the issue. We talk about it very, very frankly. So... Fair warning, eyes open going into this episode, we're talking about death, and we're talking about it in very clinical and oftentimes unnerving and kind of disgusting terms. Now with that said, if you are still with me, phenomenal, because you are going to love this episode. I say this in the episode, but it bears repeating here. I started this show to do episodes like this, because literally, as it turns out, I knew nothing about burial or cremation. Now I do. And that makes me happy. That makes me feel more fulfilled as a person. Was I unnerved and slightly discombobulated during this conversation? Sure. I'm a human. I'm sort of romantic and moony-eyed about humanity and us as a people and human exceptionalism and that kind of thing. So to hear how the human body is treated after we die, sure, that is kind of unpleasant, kind of unsettling. But you know what? I'm better for it. Because someday... We all have to face this. We all have to make this decision. We all have to determine what the best path forward for ourselves and our loved ones is. So here we go. And fair warning, the very frank cremation talk happens about 15 minutes in. So be prepared for that. Up to that, we're kind of talking about his career, talking about his history. He's a funny guy. He's a cool guy. He's got a great work history. And it's very much in the spirit of this show in terms of entrepreneurialism and finding opportunities where others might not. But once you get to 15 minutes, hoo boy, we are off and running. Now, a couple of plugs. You can stay up with me on social. That handle is J-O-A-T pod. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Would love for you to engage with me there. I recently wrote a couple of essays. One is called, What Does a Podcast Producer Even Do? Because in addition to this show, I've got eight others under my belt. And so it's worth looking at how I actually do what I do. If that interests you at all. If it doesn't, fine, whatever. Live your life. And then every year I write an essay on my birthday that is a playlist. So I put together songs that have meant something to me. And this year I talk about how we find fulfillment, not just from our careers, but from our entire lives. And I use Nugget Center and best basketball player in the world, Nikola Jokic, as my example. So you can find that on johnofalltrades.us, where you can find all 400 plus of my past episodes. Now, not going to delay any further. Ed Gazvoda is episode 354 of the John of All Trades podcast. He is the creator of Fireless Cremation, and his episode starts right now.
1: So, I mean, last night I was out at a a Mexican place, Wild Taco, and met some strangers and shared what I did, and they immediately started to clam up, so... (laughs) I not talk a lot about death around people. I've, I've learned the hard way.
0: But the hard thing is, and this is the whole conceit of this show, which is, especially as Americans, the first question anyone asks you is, what do you do? Right? Sure. So, I mean, how do you answer that question? Like, how do you do it artfully and gracefully?
1: Well, I usually I don't. I usually go for a shock value. You know, <laughs> That's you know, why you're my I, kind of guy, man. I, tell, I often I'll tell people I liquidate humans, um, <laughs> and they assume somehow I work for the mob. Um, sure. But then I, but then I do tell them, you know, that you know, we got a way to even if they've done nothing good their whole life, at least when they're dead, they could do something good for the earth. Um, and that usually gets their attention want to know what what they can do that would be good for the earth. And I tell them how we turn their body into something useful. Rather than just you know spewing it out of a smokestack or taking up land in a cemetery yeah. and you know, polluting the groundwater, but that's what I tell people.
0: So this is about a good time, I think, probably to intro you. This is Ed Voda, and you are the creator of fireless cremation. And we were introduced by a mutual acquaintance, acquaintance named Jay Mays, someone I absolutely adore. And I also love Jay's thought process. Like, you know who this guy would be good for? John. Let's have John uh, talk here.
1: Okay. Yeah, there you
0: go. And so, he sent me a little bit about you. I read about you. I found it fascinating. And I go, you know what? I haven't had anything in this arena on the podcast before, and that it takes me back to nine and a half years ago when I started this thing. I wanted to know about every job that there was because the anyone who's listened to this show for any amount of time has heard me tell this story before. But one of the best compliments I got was my best friend said, "I like standing next to you at parties." when we meet new people, because you tend to ask them the next interesting question to you know, get them to open up about what they do in an interesting way. So here we are talking about cremation. And so, Ed, I'm curious about your journey because you didn't start out in this industry. And from what I remember, you, you have a trail of success behind you that ultimately led you here. So can you give us a, a tour of how you got here?
1: Yeah, I've been involved as an entrepreneur for, I don't know, Uh, Six decades. I mean, I really started doing stuff before I was even five. But I started a company in college that used precious metals to reduce NOx and SOx coming out of power plants. That went public. It was called FuelTech.
0: You did that in college? Yes. What were you studying in college that allowed you to understand how precious minerals could uh, (laughs) could reduce NOx and SOx coming out of power plants? Which, by the way, for, for those who don't know, nitrous oxide and sulfur dioxide, right?
1: Yeah, so it's acid rain. It's stuff that, you know, ruins lakes. So I I guess I was on a subway. I wanted to make a million dollars by the time I graduated college. So I had a little black book in my back pocket, this before we had, uh, you know, smartphones. So I would write down ideas and I would jot down notes and I saw an ad on the subway for someone, some company called Gas Saver that was looking for people to work with them. And I jotted down a number, met with a guy and got some rights to his product. He had a technology that reduced the consumption of fuel inside combustion engines. But anyway, got my ass handed to me, You know, went out and met with some investors, uh, got shown the door every time. The guy wanted a half a million dollars for us to have rights plus a whole bunch of other stuff. But we got some, somebody who actually gave us some money and we tested it and it actually worked. But even a Nobel Prize winner at Harvard said to me, I asked him if it would work. He said, how do I know? go test it? So that's what we did. <laughs> so that's how I got into it.
0: Well, okay. So what were you studying at the time? Because, I mean, obviously I'm a podcaster now, but, you know, I was busy at college radio playing punk rock and, right. you know, organizing beer pong tournaments and stuff. You wanted to make a million dollars. What were you studying?
1: My roommate picked out my major because um, I was doing this business. So I became a psychology major. <laughs> so showed up, met my... Uh, Thesis tutorial person, I guess. And she asked me why I picked psychology, and I said I didn't. My my roommate did. So anyway, <laughs> that was not a great start to the year. Well, we had my office was right next to my dorm, so okay. I barely graduated from Harvard. I mean, I took pass fail courses, took independent studies from people at the business school, and starting new products and stuff. So. I, I don't know. I barely got out of college.
0: So you, you, scraped, you scraped by college, you know, sort of through some luck and some grit and some caginess. Right. <laughs> okay. So this company that reduces acid rain, what, what happened to it?
1: It went public. It went to a valuation of about $750 million. The patents are gone, so it's not worth very much today. Sure. I, mean, I sold out back in 88. So it's been a long time. But that was part of my journey. After that, I've, I've had uh, some failures. I had a company called Demand Technologies that reduced the need for power plants. Bought a patent from some people in Georgia Power Company. Uh, if you go to Times Square, our system's on McDonald's there, a bunch of McDonald's in Manhattan because they have very high demand charges. Wow. So it reduces the electrical demand cost. But anyway, that that company was kind of the night of living dead. We couldn't make any money because the HVAC guys would come and, and – um, it off so maybe that's where my dead stuff comes from you know having some <laughs> dead companies and then i worked for a company that built ugly government buildings and they were doing about six million a year and i took them to uh, 60 million then they went to 240 million by building user effective buildings okay so i'm an author of a book called user effective buildings it's not worth buying but anyway the book you know, talks about how to make buildings that make people more productive. So it was really hard to sell green. This is back in early 2000. I mean, today green sustainability is really big, yeah. but back then, even then, it wasn't very top of mind for people. So that company built the. Um, I was chairman of it. We built the greenest office building in Colorado, uh, Denver West. So Denver West. Ooh, that's where cool I grew guy.
0: up, man. Okay. Yeah. So I yeah. grew up at like six at like 20th and Youngfield, approximately.
1: Yeah, you were right near there. So all those ugly kind of Darth Vader-looking buildings, there's a beautiful building there that now says Tech. That's the one we built.
0: I know that one, yeah. And that's right by NREL, too.
1: By NREL. So we had the, the greenest, most sustainable building. NREL ended up copying the design that we did for underfloor air. So we had thermal comfort every 400 square feet in that space. Wow. It was a real engineering feat.
0: Um, so anyway, that was really cool. So Ed, I, I'm struck by something. You know, you talked about a company that was making six million dollars, making ugly off government office buildings, um, and and you have a, a candor about you as someone who clearly has a track record of success. You took this company from six million to sixty million, then it went to two hundred and forty million, and then you know the greenest office building. But there doesn't seem to be any like bullshit affectation with you. Compared to a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people who are constantly trying to sell something, you're very kind of matter of fact about how you do these things and the reality of them, you know, talking about reducing demand power, but the HVAC guys kept turning it off. And, right. <laughs> and so, you know, in, in this culture that seems to lionize people who, uh, espouse to do really great things, you see this all throughout Silicon Valley. You actually have this track record. What kind of a no-bullshit sensibility? Where does that come from?
1: Um, I mean, a lot of people just find me very honest. You know, I'm very transparent. I mean, I, I think that's the way to get around. You know, you don't want to tell people you're going to do something or you did something you didn't do, right? So yeah. I don't know. For me, it just comes naturally. I'm not sure I learned it anywhere. <laughs> I think really the key to me, get the success is the people that we able to bring in. You know, so I'm t- typically looking for really top talent. So to build that greenest office building, I mean, we brought in a, a world-class architect who'd done billion-dollar projects uh, and brought him to Colorado because he bought into this whole concept of user-effective. In fact, he was already thinking about user-effective buildings. He didn't call them that. But then, you know, in FuelTech, we ended up hiring people from, companies that already had patents in in the same precious metals that we were working on right so you hired a brilliant guy named ian oscarby so i mean these people come in and they bring their talent to the pool and make it go so it's not me that has got the talent it's really the people that we we bring in and as a leader you want to bring out the best in people and not just kind of manage people and have them think you're great you know i'm yeah i'm always trying to make people perform and do the best they can and, and applaud them, right? Because that, that benefits the whole company and everybody in the ecosystem. So.
0: Well, I, I think that is anathema to a lot of people's experience in terms of organizational leadership. Because, I mean, I, here's a story from like the 1980s. My, my uncle was a map salesman for Rand McNally. And he was really, really good at it. But he was making more than the CEO, and the CEO got really pissed off about that and restructured how they paid people, so he left, started his own company, and and blew, you know, Rand McNally out of the water. I mean, not that that's still a brand name as far as maps or even a thing anymore. Sure. But that is counter to your philosophy in terms of leadership, where you know, the CEO's ego in, at my uncle's company got in his way and didn't empower his employee who was really good at this particular thing that he did and caused him to leave. Whereas what you're saying is, in terms of leadership, you want to bring out the best in people and foster an environment where they can thrive. Yeah. That that feels elementary, but it, it, it runs so contrary to so many people's experience in the working place.
1: When I worked um, and we built that green office building, when we moved into a new space, I had one of the smallest offices in the building, cause I didn't need them. I didn't have building plans in front of me, right? I didn't have a bunch of books in front of me where I'm looking up code. You know, we started something called Louie, which is leaders of user effective and FUI, facilitators of user effective. <laughs> so, you know, people had roles that they brought in, whether it was lighting, air, thermal comfort. I mean, it was, just, it just went on and on. So we had, we developed people that became experts in a certain vertical and then they brought that talent into the pool so people felt really energized by it wow you know so we had a bunch of there was the there were our brain trust you know so without them we couldn't have built that building
0: god that's amazing and i mean you've been the way you're describing this you've been slightly ahead of the green movement at every step here and now i'm i'm reminded of something Warren Buffett always says which is when people are optimistic i'm fearful when people are you know pulling back that's when i th- think to charge ahead you're, you're finding these underexplored places where the, the green movement can possibly go and make a material difference you know talking about reducing power demand at, at a at a Times Square McDonald's and then you're talking about building the greenest office building and now here in Colorado just this week they're talking about you know removing fossil fuels and moving to electrification through the air Quality Control Commission and and they're doing it in a way that I don't know that it makes a ton of sense and they're, they're trying to really just jam this ill-fitting puzzle piece to, to achieve a goal that they have. Whereas you're actually on the ground doing it. And so that brings me to where we are today, which is you're looking at cremation and how that can – you said this in the intro – reduce land use. It, it can put fewer harmful chemicals into our ecosystem. So tell me a little bit about how – that came to materialize for you in two
1: thousand and eight. I read an article about a company in the u k Scotland called Resumation that supposedly had a product that used chemicals to break down bodies rather than petrochemicals, so something that you know didn't have carbon admission and I contacted the gentleman that ran the company and he was. Negotiating with me for the US, but he ended up giving the rice to a billion dollar cremation company called Matthews Industries, or tra- publicly traded. It pissed me off because I called the guy who was president of Matthews and he basically told me to pound sand. And mm. Instead, I went and looked up patents. So I, I found people that had worked on alkaline hydrolysis, which is the generic term for using these chemicals. And I ended up finding somebody in Indiana that actually was working still on this. He was with a company that was called WR Squared, Waste by Waste Reduction, that raised $40 million and sold multi-million dollar systems. So here in Colorado, they sold one to Colorado State University to get rid of uh, chronic wasting disease. So that's a Mm. a prion that's in elk. um, Yeah, mule
0: deer and things like that, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's really bad. And humans get it, too. It's Cruxville Jacobs, Mad Cow, things like that. Yeah. So anyway, they these guys raised $40 million. They put some attorneys in charge. They had a guy in Europe who was this guy who started a resumation. And one of the presidents was still in Indiana of this WR Squared. And so I met him, got the rights to animal units. At that point, he wasn't making human units. And said there's more money in humans. So I had him build a human unit put it in Ohio, and the state of Ohio shut it down. But we were having trouble. The product didn't work well. We were ending up with fats. We still had brains left in the skull. I mean, it was a nightmare. But that, after 19 bodies, they shut it down.
0: That sounds gnarly. Um, it's terrible. But, okay, before we get into how you changed this, I imagine you had to have an understanding of how traditional cremation worked. And so for anyone who doesn't know kind of how that actually works, can you describe that? I mean, we've seen it, like sure. – and you've seen it in pop culture. Maybe you've seen the show Six Feet Under or, you know, there's even a, a gag in the A-Team where um, Liam Neeson goes in to be cremated but wakes up and walks out of it. And so all you see is these big flames. So, yeah, give a, give us a description.
1: So the, the, the modern crematory is basically an oven with a couple burners up on top. And these burners are directed down on the body. They go to 1,619 degrees Fahrenheit. So they're extremely hot. Um, So the body comes in, typically it's in a cardboard box. I mean, it doesn't really make sense to put somebody in an expensive casket, but people do. And they have to burn that too. So anyway, they, they push the body into the furnace. A lot of times there's rollers. The door closes, the flames come on. People that are fat, the grease burns and the hair catches on fire and eventually... You know, your body's like 65, 70% water. Mm. All that has to get evaporated. They move the body around sometimes because a lot of times the skull isn't completely done. So that's the brain because it's really well protected, but it's full of fat. So a lot of times you have to just give it a little crack. So the brain comes out and that burns up too. But most everything goes pretty much out the smokestack. Half the bones go out the smokestack. So about 500 pounds of carbon dioxide go out. So a quarter ton of carbon dioxide per. And the big thing is all the metals, like the mercury in people's teeth, go out. So a typical crematory that does 400 bodies emits 50 times the safe limit. So if you were a factory, you couldn't be emitting this mercury out of a smokestack. But somehow humans aren't considered waste, so they don't necessarily fall under that regulation. And so there's also plastic on people. I mean, if you get autopsy, they stick a, a bag in your gut that's your viscera bag that's got your brain and some of your organs in it and that's tied up. So all that plastic gets burnt and goes out the smokestacks, dioxins, furons. um, It's it's nasty what goes out and half the bones and all these PM 2.5s. So if you live near a crematory, there's plenty of evidence showing all the mercury that ends up falling out of the air and getting into the soil. And it's it's a neurotoxin second only to uh, radiation. So I'm not a fan of petrochemical cremation.
0: So when when you That's say when you say petrochemical creation, I mean essentially to to get a fire that hot, you have to combust some what are they combusting? Like what what is the, the feedstock for a crematorium?
1: So it's typically natural gas, but you yeah. can use diesel if natural gas isn't available in, in around the world, you know, wherever you're at. And yep. then some places even use propane. But Jeez. you do need some kind of a hard carbon. Now, there are some people making electric crematories now, you know, just like an electric oven. Right. But they're not very popular yet. So,
0: Well, it's a lot like when you hear about natural gas bans in California. You know, the Restaurant Association doesn't like to cook food uh, on, on electric induction stoves as much as they like just natural gas. And so that makes sense to me. And you mentioned plastics, you know, anymore with all the technologies we have in surgeries. You know, someone maybe has a plastic hip or a plastic knee or something. But God, I mean, all that,
1: all that gets destroyed. Yeah. Half the bones got the smokestack. So at the end of the process, they have a rake and they rake the bones through a chute into a metal bucket. And then that bucket is the bones are still on fire. Everyone thinks there's ashes, but there's still whole uh, fibulas. There's parts of yeah, skull left femurs, there. I'm sure. Like... Yeah. Femurs. Yeah. And so they're still intact. A lot of them. And so they got to dry those or let them, let, I mean, they, they're smoking. They smoke for about two hours. Jeez. And then they take a magnet and they take out all the metals and then they put it in basically a blender and blend that up so you end up with little powdered bones. And that's by law because they don't want someone taking the ashes or the, the bones from a crematory, bury them in the backyard, and then someone finding them and they're trying to figure out who that person was. So you have to actually break, grind up the bones at the end.
0: This is, I mean, I I'm both happy and horrified to know this process because I mean this is we're we're all at some point going to face this decision, and so knowing starkly how it works is both illuminating and deeply deeply troubling. Uh, well, I
1: mean the the big problem I have too with cremation is they typically do about 2,000 bodies in crematories that catch on fire and burn down the funeral home. I mean, it's happened here in Longmont, not too long ago, you know, where the whole funeral home burned down. So you've got to rebrick brick them. And what happens is when you burn a body, you, you, you rake it out, but there's still bones left in there. So an urn, in theory, could contain parts of 2,000 other people by, you know, just by default, unless you have the brand new crematory and you're the first one in, <laughs> then you're only getting that person's bones back. Otherwise, it's commingled cremains. And most people don't tend to mind it unless it's a pet. And so pets have even a bigger problem when they get cremated because they typically do what they call private cremations where they put them in a bowl, but they'll do um, six of them at a time in the oven and combustion 16 times more air than fuel. So you get this violent you know, airflow going through there. I mean, you have to, that's how fuel combusts, right? You get a spark. You get you need it vaporized, uh, but anyway. So when you tell people that you know the you know the dog urn that you have has you know some other dog or cats in it, they they don't like it. But tell them about humans, they'll get defensive and you know typically say, "Hey, no, I was told it's only my uh, yeah. my mother in there." Really? No.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Anyway, that's enough on cremation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I I mean. For anyone listening, I'm sure anyone who's been on this show, I've talked very starkly about any number of things on this show. But um, I mean, the the other alternative here is, and you mentioned big expensive caskets. And so, I mean, that that just seems like a really good waste of resources if you have that and then you're just going to burn all that up anyway. But the the other alternative here is burial. And so in terms of burial, you know, you you drive past a cemetery and from the outside looking in, it it looks like, you know, a very lovely, peaceful place with trees and, you know, a well-manicured lawn and things like that. But you're thinking to yourself, or at least I am, that doesn't seem like the ideal use of our land. And so I imagine there are environmental impacts to to burying our deceased as well. I'm assuming you have familiarity with that as well.
1: Sure. I mean, a typical cemetery buries 900 to 1200 people per acre. With the amount of mercury in people's teeth, it breaks down, becomes methyl mercury, it's three hundred times the safe limit of mercury going into an acre of land in a cemetery. Typically when people die now, they're chock full of medicine. So naturally the ground will destroy most things, but if you have any kind of like prions, they can live for up to ten years in the ground. But hopefully you're not disturbed once you're in there. Yeah. But- you got five pounds of feces in you. All that stuff eventually becomes liquid. Your body becomes liquid. Basically, your small intestine um, has alkali. That's how it breaks down hamburgers. So, your small intestine actually breaks you down. It's a process called autolysis.
0: Wow. And,
1: you know, if you have a lot of fat, you'll look mummified at some point because it doesn't, it stops breaking down before it can eat all the fat, hmm. uh, the, the, the self process. But those, lands where there's cremato- or cemeteries are really toxic waste sites. The people aren't doing any good. They're taking up a three by eight space. And I calculated that if everybody who was buried, who's ever lived, we would have 4% of the world's inhabitable land currently taken by cemeteries. And, and around the world, I mean, they're more resourceful. They'll take a body out after 10 years or hundred years. And it really depends on the temperature, how quickly the body decomposes. I mean, getting, the worst part, too, is the embalming. So if they embalm you, this is a place where funeral directors, you know, it's another revenue source for them. I refuse to work with any funeral director that did embalming at one point, which is probably a real mistake because um, mm. everyone does it pretty much. There's a company in Boulder called The Natural Funeral that doesn't do embalming, uh, but that's about it. So anyway, embalming has formaldehyde in it, and formaldehyde is a known carcinogen. And so they, they basically take your blood, pump it in the sewer untreated. It just drains from your vena cava all the way down through a metal pan into the sewer untreated, you know, but if you ask the funeral directors, they'll say more blood's coming out of a sorority than, you know, comes out of a funeral. (laughs) So
0: (laughs) God, what a line, Jesus Christ.
1: (laughs) So it just goes on and on. So there's, there's all this biohazard that, you know, isn't really necessary. And it's, it's a tremendous expense to get buried, and I know some there's some religion and some cultural aspects to being buried, but that's fading. I mean, more and more people are getting cremated
0: around the world. Yeah, I, um, I'm inclined to agree with you, Ed, but I, I'm curious about the the environmental regulations here because I have I have a history working in the oil and gas industry, sure, and so I I know. What it's like to go through that. I've also been part of a team that did series one reports for that there was this dry cleaner who was basically just like emptying his chemicals into the parking lot. And mm. so you're going, great. Thank you. That's, that's helpful for our neighborhood here. And I know what reports like that are like. You mentioned that I, I can't, I, I don't think you even mentioned the governing body, but I assume it's either EPA or whatever the state level environmental agency is. Don't consider humans waste. So how is this regulated in terms of environmental standards of which we all tend to agree are for the greater good?
1: Oh, with crematories, they just want to make sure that the opacity of the smoke coming out isn't going to offend anybody. So they have afterburners on the top of these smoke stacks.
0: Like we're electing a pope or something like wait for the white smoke.
1: Exactly. So you don't want to see black smoke. So I'm I mean, I'm just amazed there's high-speed crematories at Horan and McConaughey right at uh, Spear and Federal right here in Denver. Uh You can drive by there sometimes, and you'll see the black smoke coming out. But typically, they don't want a crematory within 500 feet of a a residence. So there's some zoning as to where you can put these. So even I was subject to it because by law, my process is considered a cremation, uh, chemical cremation. By law, that's how it's written up. Cemeteries? There's no regulation there it's just a nightmare.
0: Wow, that is eye opening and uh, and a bit disconcerting all right that brings us to you so you see all this you see this lay of the land and sure. and you know you've determined that hey this is not there's no way to run a railroad here and so you look at that and based on your experience with this company in Scotland and and you started looking into patents, you decide you can do it better. how do you do it better
1: well the, I told you the first product didn't work so I actually got out of the business. It was a failure. In 2011, I sold my rights back to my manufacturer who made the product that didn't work. And in 2018, I read an article that he had sold a whole bunch of these systems, primarily to veterinarians. I was shocked by it. So I went out and saw him, and the bones still had marrow in them. The effluent that was left over still had big fatty chains. So it's kind of like cooking a turkey you know, or chicken, and you separate the grease, you end up with a layer of fat on the top. Mm-hmm. So the, a lot of uh, sewer systems don't want that. So like CSU was asked to pay a half a million dollars to continue putting the liquid effluent down the sewer uh, from elkheads, right? Because they were doing chronic wasting disease, mm-hmm. plus a per gallon dumping fee. So anyway, I was like, geez. I was like, could we... But they decided not to do it. So they went back and they started burning bodies, you know, burning, brains. Sure. So anyway...
0: Well, in human history, when we don't have a solution, just set it on fire, right? I mean, that's essentially like going back as far as you can even imagine. What do we do with this? I don't know. Just burn it, right?
1: Yeah. This, the solution to pollution is dilution. So the air is pretty big. I mean, the, the atmosphere is... The Earth is like an apple and the atmosphere is like this... the the size of the peel of the apple so we don't have that much atmosphere Mm. that we could keep dumping stuff in right hence you know things like carbon dioxide and global warming which you know we're all pretty much aware of i I was just in charleston and got out like an hour before they shut down the airport you know with this last hurricane but i mean this we're gonna see more of it as you get more carbon in the air and our oceans are suffering from it too because they absorb carbon dioxide but anyway, so in 2018, I read about uh, this guy's success and I said, who's buying this stuff? I mean, I, I, I was disgusted by it and felt like I had been had, you know, like it was a really bad idea. I said, Look, maybe it can be worked out. So I hired some professors in biochemistry at University of Northern Colorado, literally, you know, tenured, you know, great professors and said, can you solve these problems? Can you get rid of the fat, reduce the odor and make it faster? And then I hired a company that was uh, formed by Ball Aerospace Engineers, a gentleman named Ken Presley is the lead guy there. And Ken uh, knocked it out of the park as far as the design goes because you need some agitation and you need to heat the the fluid up. But the professors, I was up there, we had turkey fryers and we were doing cats and, and mice, but we basically took an electric turkey fryer and made that a mini unit. And then we had a shaker like you'd stand on and it shakes your body and that made the agitation inside. And so they came up with a chemical process that we got a patent on. So it was just issued in July of this year, finally, uh, where we use with a new chemical process. Yes, we came up with it in 2018, 19, really perfected in 2019. But then I started doing humans in August of 2019. Hundreds of mice, cats dogs pigs piglets i mean we tested the hell out of this new process before we did our first human so
0: well and not to be weird here but um, i know when people are training to do tattoos they they tend to get like pig skin on you know like from a butcher because that is similar to human flesh just in terms of, like, how it takes color and, you know, how the needle works and all that. So in terms of using pigs, that seems like a fairly good test subject for how could this work on humans.
1: Well, yeah, the DNA of a pig is 98% the same as humans.
0: I didn't well, know that. Not
1: that difficult. Oh, yeah. Our DNA is very similar to pigs.
0: Hmm. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> um <laughs> so, so so, the patent process, uh, I, I know very little about it. But what I do know, it is a painstaking, deeply annoying, very expensive process. How was it for you?
1: Well, I took patent law at CU Law School. So I had some background in it. But no, if you hire a great um, patent attorney, they have to deal with the headaches. So I had hired uh, uh, Freud, Samuel Freud. Uh, Sam, he's up in Fort Collins. And he had done some patents on alkaline hydrolysis. He's also a Harvard PhD in physics. And so he's just a brilliant guy. Wow. So he worked on the patent. Yeah, the patent office will push back and they'll try to limit the claims. We had 25 claims in our original patent. We had 25 claims accepted. That's unbelievable. Usually the patent office comes by and smacks some of them. But patents are only valuable if – and I've bought patents. I told you I bought the demand Mm. technologies – FuelTech was all patent driven, you know, as far as the valuation. I mean, big companies had to come work with us like Nalco FuelTech. Nalco was a big chemical company. They did a joint venture with FuelTech uh, because we had the patents. Because, you know, once you tell people, hey, here's the recipe, anyone can go do the recipe unless you have a patent on it. We have a patent on using alcohol. So I I tend to drink more than I need to. So just when I go into my system, when I die, (laughs) Um, they won't have to use as much alcohol. You're
0: expediting yeah. the process.
1: I'm going to expedite the process. Yes, yeah, how, I'm going to have them use a little less.
0: How courteous <laughs> anyway, of you!
1: I know. <laughs> I have to do my job <laughs> anyway. So the alcohol is the key. So the alcohol breaks the fats down, the big fats, and that way the potassium hydroxide can break down the proteins. So basically, I mean, humans are pretty simple. There's like four main elements to a human. And when you're done, you have very little. You know you're not really worth that much as far as material goes you got some carbon phosphate uh, you've got one percent phosphorus three percent nitrogen so those are big things that, that plants need but you got a lot of water right yeah so we take we use the water we go back into the earth with the water so none of our stuff goes down the sewer okay so the other stuff all went down the sewer but then we use an acid we use acetic acid but we're actually using glacial acetic acid So when you get vinegar, typically vinegar is 4% glacial acetic acid, right? So it's a really weak acid, but that's vinegar. We're at 100%, and that'll bring the pH down and create something called potassium acetate, which makes it one of the most valuable, you become a very valuable plant biostimulant Mm -hmm. when you're dead, and your liquid can go back to the family. So we keep talking about this as an alternative to cremation, but it's, a, it's an alternative to composting because when we break you down, you're down to your organic components and then it could be used for burial. So I used to give back what I call plaskets, five gallon plastic jugs with the person's essence in it. So that was the non-bone parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus we gave them back typically twice as much bones as they would get with a cremation. And none of it was commingled because when you, we're done with the process, yeah. there's no bones left in the bottom of our vessel. It kind of looks like a, a tub we used to call it the coffin spa, which we don't do anymore. But basically the body goes in and it gets moved from side to side and there's a wave motion inside, kind of like a seesaw. So one end lifts up then it drops down. So you can imagine a wave inside the unit and that brings the chemicals to the body. So anyway, it worked and we continue to improve on it. Even this next week, I'll be doing some more experiments uh, with mice. And right now I'm just using mice, rats.
0: Okay. So you've, you've seen this done on humans?
1: Hundreds of times.
0: Okay. Let's say um, the first time to the 200th time, how, how did your level of – I'm going to ask this a different way. What is it like watching that uh, happen to a human body?
1: For me, it's fascinating because you put a body in that's got a face and arms and you know, a body and you watch them at the end, you just have sandy bones. So it literally looks like sand on a beach. It's not charred like it would from a, from a crematory. And you see, you know, skulls, sometimes the skulls more intact than other times, Mm. but the skulls really like six plates. So typically it breaks apart. To me, it was just, it's an incredible uh, transformation of a dead body into something that's useful.
0: Wow. Okay. So let me ask you then, at this point, you know... Any any industry that is going to get disrupted by new technology is going to be resistant to that because they already have skin in the game with existing infrastructure and existing capital that they've already invested. In terms of getting this more widely accepted, how successful have you been and what barriers have you met?
1: So we you know, in Ohio I spent twenty five thousand dollars fighting the law there, you know, trying to make it legal. And the judge baseless said, No, this funeral board that's got a vested interest in Crematories, You know, all these guys that were on there and women owned crematories said you can't do this process in Ohio. But right now about half the states in the U.S. allow it, uh, three Canadian provinces. The U.K. allows it, South Africa, Australia. It's getting more accepted around the world. But there was some real resistance to, you know, did it work, did it destroy everything? Was there any bacteria left, any viruses left? A couple months ago, we did a test with a pig where we put some spores in in the brain of the pig and had some professors and people that were really knowledgeable about what goes on with this observe it and wrote a report. So now, you know, we we can show that there's nothing left. You know, we destroy everything. The The resistance is people are resistant to getting something in their backyard. So when someone wants to put a crematory in or a cemetery in, People are up in arms because they know the danger of them now, right? You can just look on the internet and there's a whole bunch of stuff on why sure. you shouldn't have a cemetery or a crematory. The, the biggest crematory manufacturer in North America has licensed our product because it's, they're going to eventually cannibalize their own sales. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so they just moved into a big 40,000 square foot space so they could set up an automated assembly line to build these. So that'll bring the cost down rather than building them one off because it's so hard to get a crematory regulated or allowed
0: or zoned or I permitted. Mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's really the resistance from the neighbors. So yeah, yeah. there's there's one in Baltimore. We've sold two units in Baltimore of ours already, but there's a funeral home that fought and fought their neighbors and finally got approval. Guess what the neighbors have done. They put signs up like, you know, yard signs saying, don't use this funeral home. Right. So you're getting you get you don't win by winning to put in a flame-based crematorium anymore. Yeah, even though you can by zoning in certain areas. And as as everything moves to decarbonization, this is the answer. I mean, there's another there's one other process where they compost bodies, which became legal here in Colorado. There's six states now where it's legal, and that's where they take basically hay, alfalfa, and they gotta keep it moist. But basically, it takes. Some places, they actually grind them up a little bit. They have some rototillers that'll eventually mm-hmm. grind the body up, so it goes a little quicker. But no one's really found that composting destroys everything. In fact, it's not allowed on certain people that have tuberculosis or prions, but it will kill things like E. coli if you get to 130 degrees for a certain number of days. Huh. But I think there's a better way to compost bodies, because otherwise you end up with a ton of dirt. Yeah. And Typically, what I end up with is twice the weight of the body in, you know, plant biostimulant. Wow. So 100, a 150-pound person becomes 300 pounds of liquid that gets readily absorbed to the earth rather than, you know, some compost that, you know, potentially has pathogens in it. So anyway.
0: Jeez, Ed. <clears throat> well, to me, this sounds like the future. <clears throat> what, what is the status here in Colorado? Just, just, you know, it's hit it close to home for me.
1: It, it's legal. So back in 2011, I worked on the bill and governor Hickenlooper at the time is the governor signed it into law. And so there's a few places that offer alkaline hydrolysis. There's only one that does it where you won't have any marrow or brains and that's the natural funeral in Boulder. Okay. And they have a, a separate location now in Loveland. They're doing really well financially with this process. Uh, because people pay for it, and they get a premium for it. So it's about $4,000 uh, for this process here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. The other places, you end up with about 300 gallons. So that's 2,400 pounds, over 2,500 pounds of liquid Jeez. that they have to dispose of. And they can't put it down the sewer here in Denver, yeah. because it's got biological oxygen demand. So basically, we'd go in and make the, the microbes in the— bacteria that's in these wastewater treatment systems go crazy and multiply and they eventually just suck up all the oxygen and die (laughs) (laughs) so you can't put something down the sewer that's you know that intensive and so they don't allow it so they they have a real problem of where to dispose of it and it's got the fatty layer on top so they got to scrape the fats off it's a mess
0: geez man well ed i'll tell you this this whole thing has been fascinating to me Learning about this because you think you know a little bit about this i as it turns out, I knew nothing, literally nothing before we talked uh comparatively anyway and i th- I think what you're doing is making a real difference, and um I'll tell you i I hope for all of our sakes that that this catches on uh now is the time in the show when we do plugs where can people find you or find your company anything at all you want to plug please do it now
1: well if you have morbid curiosity you can go find us at fireless cremation.com uh if you're interested in in setting up a shop you could buy equipment from american crematory
0: uh you you, you, have- you aspiring cre- crematorium uh owners out there listening to this show
1: you, yeah it's, it's kind of fun you get it, Pay people to go pick up the dead, and then you put them in the system and give back the bones. It's not that it's not hard, especially if you don't do embalming or anything like that or sell caskets. I never sold anything when my funeral home wouldn't sell even an urn. Wow! So, anyway, you can also, if you're in Europe, you can look up Aquasolve. Aquasolve, they're our European licensee, and we're soon to have fireless cremation in the Philippines. Uh, they're going to be doing Southeast Asia. And we're working on a deal for like taiwan and china and uh, hong kong and that should be done here within the next like six months it's it's taken a while because you got to get the communist people to approve it sure so anyway that that's in the works uh we're still looking for licensees or people to take this to australia south america africa desmond tutu had alkaline hydrolysis done And I said he would have preferred our process because rather than putting his liquid down the sewer, 300 gallons of him, Mm -hmm. they could have taken, you know, he was kind of a skinny guy. They could have taken, you know, 20 plaskets and poured them in the ocean at a high pH to reverse the acidification of, of, of the oceans. So we don't have to go down to neutral to go back in the ocean. You want us to keep the pH high. That would have been a better option for Desmond Tutu. (laughs) <laughs> he just didn't. He didn't have the option because our systems weren't in South Africa yet.
0: Well, on that note, I can't think of a better way to end this. But Ed Voda, this has been deeply enlightening and just really, really interesting to talk about. And I wish you nothing but continued success. Thanks, John. And that'll do it for episode 354 of the John of All Trades podcast with Ed Gazvoda. My, 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 what a show. This one is an all-timer for me. I hope it was for you. I learned a ton, and I meant what I said hope he finds success with this on a broader scale and I think he will. Given that the world is going green, why not make this process that way too? Check out all the links that he gave you in the companion blog piece that's on johnofalltrades.us or in the show notes no matter what platform you're listening on. Whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Pandora, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your pods, that's where you can find me. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes come directly to you. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. I do training, content, engagement. That's a whole suite of PR activities and also podcasting. As I mentioned in the intro, I have nine shows that I produce. If you have a podcast idea, hit me up. I'd be happy to talk you through it. I can run, create, facilitate any show that comes out of your brain. Just hit me up, uh, J-O-N at D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot i I'm on the socials, J-O-A-T pod, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Episode previews are Facebook only. Those go up on Mondays or Tuesdays if it's a holiday like this week. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. I'm out of here for this week. I've got another show in the hopper. That'll be coming to you, I think, in two weeks. So wherever you are, be good to yourselves, be good to each other. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, crazy.